before we open up the Word of God together this morning to be taught by the Spirit, to know who our God is, let's bow for a word of prayer once again. Father, we're thankful for life. We're thankful for knowledge and for wisdom. And Father, we thank you for the way in which you have revealed yourself to us through your scripture. Uh, Father, I ask that in these moments that we have, which are short, that you would teach us, uh, that you would continue to mold us and shape us as the potter and, and we as the clay. Uh, Father, that you would have absolute, absolute sway, as we just sung, uh, over every aspect of our lives because uh, your, your son, Jesus Christ, is not only our redeemer, uh, but he is our Lord. And so, Father, we uh, commit this time to you, and we pray that your spirit would guide us in all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be considering uh, the Holy Spirit today, actually, for the next three Sundays, in relation to God's sovereign plan of salvation. Uh, today marks sermon number 13. Uh, as we uh, continue in this section, uh, which started in verse 3 and goes through verse 14, we know is one, one long run-on sentence that has been jam-packed full of truth, uh, as seen by the 13th sermon, and we still have a few more to go. Um, and I'd like to read to you verses 13 and 14 because this uh, sets the stage of where we're going to springboard for the next couple of weeks. Uh, where it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the aspect that we're going to look at in these last two verses of this uh, opening uh, uh, beautiful uh, sentence that Paul penned in relation to the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ is the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the thing is, I think to the shame of many Baptist churches is that we don't speak about the Holy Spirit enough. Uh, I, I won't embarrass anyone and ask them how many sermons they remember that were preached on the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit actually has a very vital role in salvation probably more than you realize. And that's why it's going to take me three weeks to speak to all of the different things that are a work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. And as you remember at the very beginning of this section, when we uh, gave an overview of verses 3 through 14, you remember one of the things that I uh, showed to you was the fact that there is a Trinitarian view of this section of Scripture. And the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this plan of salvation that God had from before the foundation of the world, before time began, uh, involved the entire Godhead. Uh, and we've seen in verses 3 to 6 that the blessing of salvation that originates in the Father, that becomes ours in the Son as we looked at verses 6 through 12. And these last two verses, verses 13 and 14, are the blessing of salvation being realized through the Spirit. And so what we're going to do uh, is actually not even speak to the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you'll have to come back next week for that uh, uh, or the guarantee of that inheritance. Because what I want to do is I want to share with you what the Holy Spirit does in salvation. Because once you begin to realize what the Holy Spirit does, 
it helps you see that the Godhead is involved in salvation. And so permit me for a few moments this morning to speak about the Trinity itself. Because the Trinity is a biblical doctrine where God has revealed himself as the one true God. God is not three uh, gods in one. He is one God in three persons. So we see that revealed in the scripture that God exists as three co-eternal, co-equal persons as one God. Okay? And so this doctrine of the Trinity is important for us because each person within the Trinity has a role in salvation, has a role in everything that pertains to life and godliness and things yet to come. And so as we think about the, the Godhead, you need to remember that there are different roles. And the Spirit has a different role uh, than the Father and Son in salvation. Uh, and actually has a quite a profound role. Uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 26, it's, it says this about the Spirit. It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and that's Jesus speaking, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So right there in John fourteen twenty six, you see the cohesiveness of the Godhead. The Spirit's not off doing his thing. The, the, the Son is not doing his thing and the Father doing his thing and them not communicating as the one true God with one another in relation to salvation. There is cohesiveness. Everything that the Spirit, the Son, and the Father do all work together for our good uh, and work together in relation to this beautiful salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. So much so that it says the Spirit will teach us all things. Uh, which is an aspect of what the Spirit does as he indwells us. Uh, but he will bring back to remembrance all that I have said to you. So everything that Jesus taught, every principle, every precept, everything that he communicated as the Son of God in flesh as he walked on the earth some two millennia ago is exactly the same thing that the Spirit is going to teach you because it's the truth, because it's absolute. Time does not change it. People cannot change it. Because it's God's plan before the foundation of the world. And so something you need to understand about the Holy Spirit, because there is a lot of confusion in uh, what I will consider Christian, in quotes, uh, you know, churches. Because there's a lot of misinformation, a misapplying, and a, a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is. So let me begin uh, by telling you that the Holy Spirit is not, and I repeat, is not an emanation or a force or a manifestation, okay? He's not some spirit like you would think of spirit when you think of maybe Casper the ghost or something of that sort uh, in a spiritual realm, okay? This is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit himself is God. He is not a manifestation because there are those that claim to be Christians that will tell you that, well, God manifested himself in the Old Testament as God the Father, and then in New Testament times, the God manifested himself in Jesus. And today, God manifests himself as the Holy Spirit. Well, that is a false understanding and a false doctrine of God. Because God is not divided that way. And God revealed himself, even from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, 
even showing us of things that would come as Jesus himself would, would actually come on the scene. Identifying himself as one God in three persons, each with their own specific role. So don't confuse and don't use man's understanding of what he defines as spirit to think that the Holy Spirit is some emanation or some force that can you know, be greater or lesser depending upon you know, a given day or a given set of circumstances. The Holy Spirit is God. And he is also an independent person within that Godhead. So the Spirit is not the Son, the Son is, and the Spirit is not the Father. They each are distinct persons within the one true Godhead. And sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that, but it's important for you to understand that the Spirit is a person. You should never say it in relation to the Spirit. He, because he is God. And you need to know that. You need to have that as a lens through which you're going to look at everything that we're going to talk about today and the next two Sundays. So with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, And we're going to be bouncing around a little bit this morning. You don't have to stay there in Ephesians 1 because, as I told you, we're going to talk about the sealing of the Holy Spirit and him as the guarantee of our inheritance next Sunday. But I want to begin by talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation as uh, the initiator or the one who regenerates or the regenerating work of the Spirit. So what is regeneration? Well, something that the Spirit does is he is the one who provides spiritual rebirth. That's what regeneration is by definition, spiritual rebirth. I like what the Puritan John Flavel said many years ago in relation to the Holy Spirit. He says, as the blood of Christ is the foundation of all merit, which we know that to be true because we just got done talking about Jesus Christ, that everything we have in in relation to salvation is based in his merit alone, what he accomplished on Calvary, the fact that he is the Redeemer, that salvation is in him alone, that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. He is the foundation of all merit because we cannot earn our salvation by doing good works as it tells us later in the book of Ephesians. So he says, as the blood of Christ is the foundation of all merit, so the Holy Spirit is the foundation of all spiritual life. And until he quickens us, imparts the principle of divine life to our souls, we can put forth no vital act of faith to lay hold of Jesus. So what he is saying here is that just as the shed blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can redeem you out of your trespasses and sins, so the Spirit is the only one who can give you spiritual life. He is the only one through which you can be born again. Uh, And that's what regenerating is. Uh, In the book of Titus, chapter 3, verses 4 and following, it says this, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, which we have talked about at length in, the, in previous weeks. It is God's goodness. It is God's loving kindness that our Savior appeared. Verse 5 says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, because the Scriptures tell us what? There is none righteous, no, not one, but according to his own mercy. 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified or being declared righteous by God is by his grace that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So even there, you see the cohesiveness of the the Godhead. You see that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are united in what salvation is and through whom it comes and how it begins and how it ends because salvation belongs to God. It is a complete decreed package or plan of salvation. The same biblical truth uh, is seen in Jesus's uh, interaction with Nicodemus, uh, Pharisee. And so turn over to John chapter 3. Because um, it's important for you to see, because this gives us another picture of this uh, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3. I'd like to be, begin by reading... Um, well, I'll just read from verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And again, he's thinking from a physical standpoint, that which is spiritual. And so Jesus goes on to uh, help him understand. Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Okay, so there you have physical birth. Flesh is flesh. You all came from a physical mother, and you were all woven by the hand of God in that womb from the moment of conception. And he goes on to say, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So Jesus is differentiating between physical birth and spiritual birth. And he goes on to finish by saying, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. So is Jesus saying being born again physically? No. But the picture of what we see here is a picture of what needs to happen in relation to spiritual things, is that we need to be born again. And as I was studying and preparing for this sermon, I I came across a scripture in in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel that really spoke to me and, and showed me uh, beautifully, uh, what the Lord was is, does through the new covenant. And I think this will help you understand why the Spirit has to regenerate someone spiritually in order for them to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In Ezekiel chapter 36, and you can turn there if you'd like, actually it would be good for you, um, especially, you know, I know those that are using digital format, it's really easy because you can just go find the book. But those flipping pages, which I still love to hear, um, Ezekiel is in the Old Testament. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, which I'm sure you know where that is too. But chapter 36, the prophet Ezekiel is describing Israel's restoration to the Lord under the new covenant, which we know about because Jesus' death is the new covenant 
in his blood. And notice the language here as it starts in verse 24. Listen to what's repeated. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what was repeated? I will. So is that the prophet Ezekiel speaking? Who's the I? The I is God himself. He says, I will do this. I will do this. And no one is going to stop God from doing what God has set out to do. And you'll notice here that there's a, a picture of, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. Because there was a ceremonial cleansing, and water was used as the medium through which that cleansing would take place. And so this um, idea of being the, the washing of regeneration that we read about in Titus 3 is a picture of what happens when the work of regeneration begins and what happens when we are washed in the blood of the Lamb, like we spoke of this morning. Because there is a cleansing that takes place, and something actually transforms. Because he says he would, he would clean us from all uncleanliness, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. So all those false gods, all those false beliefs that you had before, I'm going to take them away so that they are no longer a temptation or a distraction because I am the one true God. In verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart. Well, why do we need a new heart? Well, that goes back to the problem. Okay, when he, he describes it here beautifully. He says, I will put a new spirit within you because we need one. We need a new heart. Because he's going to remove, so who's doing the removing? God is. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So he's taken a rock-hard, stone-cold, dead-in-their-trespasses-and-sins heart of stone, and he removes it. He doesn't just, you know, make it something different. He removes it. Because the thing is, that rock-hard, stone-cold heart that is in rebellion against God is what the scriptures speak about of being the, the natural man who thinks the things that are spiritual are foolishness. So someone who has not had their eyes opened or their eyes regenerated to be able to see spiritual things looks at the things of God, looks at salvation, looks at God's law, looks at anything that God says and says, that is foolishness. I know better. And what God is saying is, no. I'm going to do this. I will take that heart of stone. He's going to remove it, and he's not going to leave a vacancy there. He's going to remove it for the purpose of, as it says there, to give you a heart of flesh. Now, this is not meaning in relation to the sinful flesh. This is giving a, going from a rock-hard heart to a heart that is pliable, a heart that is ready to receive spiritual things. Because remember, the rock-hard heart is dead in its trespasses and sins. They're dead to everything spiritual. So the spirit has to come in and regenerate. He has to give spiritual rebirth. And the only way that happens is by removing the stone heart and giving a heart of flesh in its place so that we can, be, we can begin to see 
the one true God. And he says, I will put my spirit within you. So he's, he's putting the spirit in there for the purpose, as we'll find at the end of the sermon today, for a particular purpose. Because the spirit has a vital role not only in salvation, but living out the Christian life. And he, he says right here in Ezekiel uh, 36, verse 27, and calls you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what God does through the spirit is give us and, and energize us to live as those who no longer have a rock-hard, stone-cold heart and those who have a fleshly, pliable heart that sees and understands that which is spiritual. See, only by being born again by the Spirit can anyone enter God's kingdom. You can't be good and enter God's kingdom. You cannot do, you know, five steps and enter God's kingdom. There is no stairway to heaven, as the song so aptly puts. The only way you get to heaven is by being reborn by the Holy Spirit of God, by believing in Jesus Christ's sacrifice and being cleansed by his precious blood so that you no longer have sin but have life. So that's the first aspect of the Holy Spirit and salvation. He is the one that begins regeneration. He is the one that takes that which is dead, stone, rock hard, and makes it fleshly so that we can embrace and see salvation through Jesus Christ. Second is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And in the, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit taking up permanent residence in true believers. You know, in Ezekiel, he says, I will uh, put my spirit within you. Under the new covenant, something that the Old Testament saints, the spirit came upon people for particular purposes and for a particular time frame. But something that is new in under Christ and, and post Christ's death, burial and resurrection is that God puts his spirit. God himself. Third person of the Trinity. In us for the purpose of us seeing spiritual things and living for God instead of ourselves. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence in true believers. And this happens at the moment of salvation. There's no introductory period. There's no, nothing else needs to happen because this is part of God's plan. As soon as you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are indwelt by the Spirit. Because your heart is now fleshly. It's pliable. It is spiritual in nature. And so the Spirit takes up residence. And there's some scriptures we can go to to help you better understand what this looks like and what this entails. Know this, that God created us, the Son redeemed us, and the Holy Spirit indwells us, and notice this word, and I'll, you know, say it for effect, forever. It's not for a short period of time. It's not based on whether or not you want God or not later on. Because remember, God's the one doing this work, and you do not manipulate, have control over, or have the authority to tell God what to do. He does that work. And so this is based in him and him alone. He will do these things because he is God. And he knows that which is good and what is best for every person on this planet. And guess what? It's not ourselves. And it is nothing that this world has to offer. The Gospel of John chapter 14 verses 15 through 17 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father... Jesus speaking, and he will give you another helper 
to be with you forever. See, the Spirit indwells every true believer in Jesus Christ forever. Because part of what we'll find out next time is that the, the Spirit is the seal. He is the guarantee of our salvation. And so the Spirit doesn't just come for a portion of time or doesn't come because of your, your initial excitement in who God is. It's because God has done a great work of taking that which is stone, removing it out because it needed to come out, and putting in its place something that can see and understand who God is. And he will be with you forever. So you can't lose the spirit. You can't kick him out. He is there permanently because you have uh, been bought with a price. You belong to God in salvation. Verse 17 goes on to say, even the spirit of truth, which is exactly what the spirit does. He communicates God's truth. And, and, and uh, in the Gospel of John, it clarifies that whom the world cannot receive. Well, why can't the world receive the truth of God? Stone, rock hard, heart. The things that pertain to the spiritual realm are foolishness. Not even on their radar. They will suppress that truth as, as, as much as they possibly can. Walk away from it. You know, deny it. Blaspheme God and do everything that's contrary to who God is because that's who they are. And their hearts are hard. They're stone. They're rock. The world cannot receive it because it neither sees him or knows him. See, that's why the Spirit has to come in and regenerate. He has to give us the ability to see spiritual things because otherwise we're dead in our trespasses and sins. That there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who seeks after God. Because our hearts, apart from God, are stone. And stone is stone. And you can beat stone all you want. But it's not going to change the nature of it. Stone needs to be removed and something put in its place, which is a fleshly heart. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. No clarifiers, no conditions, this is a matter of fact. So every believer, everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, everyone who has embraced the blood of Christ, that blood has washed you clean so that you're no longer sinful, but in God's eyes you are 100% righteous because you've been clothed in Christ's righteousness. He is the one upon whose merit you are qualified as acceptable to God. He will dwell with you and will be in you. Some other things to consider scripturally in relation to the Holy Spirit and his indwelling is that he is the one who is called the promised helper. It says that in John 14, where he says that he will give you another helper, capital H in your text, to be with you forever. Well, a couple of chapters later, I guess actually one chapter later, in chapter 15, verse 26 of John, it says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The spirit of truth, again, because the spirit is telling you how things, how they are. He is showing you spiritual th truth. Who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So do you see the cohesiveness coming here? Again, the spirit is not going to tell you anything contrary to who God is. Because he is God and he's going to tell you the truth, which is absolute. Truth is not subject subjective to the individual. Because once it becomes, something becomes subjective to an individual, then it's your opinion. It's not the truth. And there is absolute truth because our God is absolute and over everything. 
Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, listen to what he says to the disciples. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Well, what is the promise of the Father upon them? Well, guess what? It's the Holy Spirit, the Helper, who is the promised Helper. He tells them, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. See, God sends the Spirit as the seal, as the guarantee, as the helper, as the one who regenerates and indwells every true believer in Jesus Christ, who realizes they cannot save themselves and that only God can save. It is power from on high because it is spiritual in nature. Stone does not comprehend it. Fleshly heart does. And I like what the, uh, Jeremy Taylor, who was a cleric in the Church of England, he said this in relation to the Spirit as the helper. And this is key even for those that, you know, are, are going through the things that we face every day in the Christian life, let alone what's going on in our country and the turmoil that we're facing. He says, It is impossible for that man to despair who remembers that his helper is omnipotent. See, whether you believe it or not, every believer here today, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, which is God. He is not a emanation. He is not a force. He is not a manifestation of God. He is God. And God dwells in every believer. And the thing is, if you have the power of Almighty God dwelling in you, in the the person of the Holy Spirit, then it is impossible for you to despair. Why is that? Because you have the hope of salvation. You have the truth that only God can give you. Because you no longer have a stone heart, you have a fleshly heart. You can see and understand. And it is impossible for you to despair because you remember that the helper, the Holy Spirit, is all-powerful. So it doesn't matter what you face, no matter what, how you stumbled, how you fell, the power of God saves, but the power of God keeps as well. Because it's almighty power. And you cannot, in your finite power, outpower the almighty God. Paul gives us another word picture of what the believer's body is likened to uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because he says the believer's body is likened to a temple where the Holy Spirit resides. Okay, well, temple was for, you know, the, uh, the children of Israel to go to where God would meet them and worship with them. Well, see, we don't have to go somewhere to meet with God any longer because we have the spirit of the living God within us. That power, that encouragement, that help, the guide into all truth, the one who illuminates the scriptures, the one that excites us about the things of God, the one that helps the, the word of God be living and active to pierce us when we need to be pierced, but also to protect us when we need protection. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul, he's instructing the believers in Corinth to flee from sexual immorality. And this is what he says there in verses 19 and 20. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So who does the Holy Spirit come from? God. Who is the Holy Spirit? God. And where is he? Within you. Because God gave him to you. You are not your own. 
For you have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So the principle here is in relation to sexual immorality, things that we would do. And as you look at our culture today, there is a, our world is rampant with sexual immorality. Men and women and children have become sex objects because of sinful, rock-hard hearts that don't understand that they are created in the image of God. It is God that weaves them in the womb so that they are not a choice. They are a creation of God. So he says, remember, you've been bought with a price. You're not your own because what happened? The stone heart was removed and the fleshly heart was put in its place. You have been paid for by the blood of Christ so that you are no longer, you know, your own person who goes and does your own thing, which is really even a non-truth as well, because everyone, everywhere, from all of time, will have to answer to God. There will be a final judgment. And the question is, will you still have a rock-hard heart rejecting Jesus Christ, or will you have a fleshly heart that understands and sees and loves the salvation that you have, so that even in relation to the things that you used to love, you no longer defined you so that you are one who glorifies God in your body because the spirit of God is in you. So don't make the fatal error of thinking that you can hide from God like you can hide from other people because you know what? You can do things and I've, I've watched this 50 plus years of my life where people will work in every angle and situation to try and hide Maybe an addiction or, uh, you know, something that they're going through and they can, you know, put up some pretty good facades. But guess what? God knows you in your heart because he gave you a heart of flesh. And he knows every thought in your mind. But see, because the Godhead is one, you know, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwells believers, but so does the Son because you know, the Holy Spirit is God. Matter of fact, the Godhead itself is in and indwells every believer. Let me take you to uh, two other texts here in uh, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, verse 27, it says, To them God chose to make known how, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Which is, what's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because, yes, the Holy Spirit is a person within the, the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God, but so is God the Father and God the Son. Individual people within that one God. So the Son also indwells us because we are his and he is ours. Not, not that we somehow become a God, as many have you know, put forth, and even within Christian circles, and I put Christian in quotes, saying that we become little gods. No, we don't. There's only one God that is uh, shown to us scripturally as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, it says, But this we know, that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, uh, God abides in him and he in God. So there's this mutual thing because you've been bought and paid for. And you have the ability to, to have a relationship much like 
Adam and Eve had in the very beginning because they were, they were created sinless. They were capable of sin, but they were sinlessly you know, created. God breathed into them the breath of life. There's a day coming where this frail shell will no longer be, and I will never have to worry about a, you know, a stray thought, a stray word, you know, a stray desire or a stray action, because I will be free from sin completely when I get my glorified body and am with God for all of eternity. Because whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation is that of regenerating or regeneration, which is spiritual rebirth. Second is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit where he takes permanent residence in true believers. So the Spirit is within you forever. And third, the aspect that we're going to look at this morning is that of the baptizing of the Holy Spirit. And this is one where I need you to to pay attention because this is a a doctrine in relation to the Holy Spirit that is miscommunicated, misused, and misrepresented. Because the baptism or baptizing of the Holy Spirit is that act by which the Holy Spirit takes a new believer and puts them into the body of Christ. Because we are not our own anymore and we have our identity in Christ. God's breaking in with a special announcement for you, so pay attention. Baptizing of the Holy Spirit is placing a new believer into the body of Christ. So let me tell you what it's not. The baptizing of the Holy Spirit is not uh, what the Bible you know, um, proclaims in relation to baptism or what we call believer's baptism. Because baptism is not necessary for salvation. You do not need to be baptized in order to be saved because Baptism is an outward response, an outward act of what has already transpired within. That taking of a stone heart and replacing it with flesh. That you're no longer part of the kingdom of darkness, but of the kingdom of light. That you are no longer a slave to sin, but you belong to God because you've been bought and paid for. So it is not believer's baptism. And Lord willing, in January, we're going to see some baptisms and we're going to you know, have... Uh, people give testimony to that work that Christ did in their hearts as we, uh, uh, you know, potentially bring some new members into the church. But it also is not the same thing as being filled with the Spirit. Okay? And I will differentiate that in two weeks, so you're going to have to tune in next time, or I guess the time after next, to know what the filling of the Holy Spirit is. But baptizing is that act by which the Spirit takes a new believer, someone who is trusted in Christ, and this happens at the moment of salvation. There's no, you know, uh, introductory feature. There is no, you know, wait, it's loading kind of thing. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you immediately are baptized in the Spirit because you are a new believer and need to be placed in the body of Christ. That's why the church exists. So that we can be that bride, that spotless bride that the scriptures speak to, and to be in Christ, be part of a family, because you have a new identity. You're not like the rest of the world, and you should stand out like a sore thumb. See, because believers are immersed, which is why we do immersion for our baptism, because it identifies with Christ's burial, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That full, you know, arc, if you want. From him dying on the cross to being buried in a tomb to being raised to be uh, standing at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Believers are immersed into that because when Christ hung on that cross, he took my sin and your sin with him. So that when his blood is applied to us, when we trust him as Savior, we are washed clean. We are regenerated. We are not the same individuals. Something miraculous has happened. Because it's miraculous when a a heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. It's not evolution. It's the power of God. And we are united with him in that. Because Christ was our representative. He was our substitute. He took the wrath of God upon himself on that cross so that we could experience the regenerating, indwelling, and baptizing work of the Holy Spirit to make us different people. Paul in Ephesians, uh, later on in the book, we'll get to it at some point. (laughs) Chapter 4 seems a long ways off. But verses 4 to 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Because he is almighty God. So everything that happens is through him. Nothing exists on its own. He is the one that gives power to everything. The reason that the the sun rose today is because of the power of God. The reason that you're here today is the power of God. The reason that you're breathing right now, hopefully not sleeping right now, is the power of God. But you notice that word that's repeated? One. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, who is uh, over all, sovereignty, through all, so providentially working, and in all. So there is nothing that happens outside of his purview. His will is being accomplished everywhere, whether we see it or not. Um, In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul restates this same uh, truth. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. Makes sense, right? This is one body. I wish it was two sometimes so that I could go get twice as much done or at least one of the bodies could have a a little bit of uh, fishing time or hunting time or something of that sort. But the thing is, I'm not divided. I'm one body. And every part of my body works in unison most of the time to accomplish things. But see, when we come into Christ's body, we all become one. And we don't lose our identity. We are a part of a greater and more beautiful framework that has as its foundation Jesus Christ. And not the world, not the lust of the flesh, not the pride of life. It's different. For in the Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and were made to drink of one Spirit. See, God's not divided, and therefore we're not divided. And the thing is, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to see that there is a greater thing at work here. You are part of a a spiritual body of Christ. So if something happens to me, guess what? It affects you. And if something happens to you, it affects me. Because we're all part of one body. You know, think of it this way. When, When your back is not working like it's supposed to, guess what? You don't continue to walk as if nothing's happening. The rest of your body starts to compensate because the body is one and it affects everything. So just as it is with the body of Christ, we are one body because we've been baptized into one body 
as a new believer and because of the work of the Spirit in us. So how should this inform our lives today? And I'll close with this. Because this is the application part. You know, it's great that you told us about the regenerating work, the indwelling work, and the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit, Pastor Bill. But how does this change who I am today? Glad you asked. Let me start by sharing a quote from John Blanchard, who is a pastor. I actually, um, he, uh, I think he passed away. So uh, if he did, his faith has been made sight. But he says this, and it's very profound, and you need to listen to this. He says, becoming a Christian is not making a new start in life. Okay, and why is that? Because rock, heart, flesh, heart. Becoming a Christian is not making a new start in life because there's no new start to happen. Because it's a rock. It's an inanimate object. It is dead to the things that are spiritual. He says, it is receiving a new life to start with. See, that's the picture of what Ezekiel even penned. Rock, flesh. It's a new start. It's a rebirth. So the Spirit's regenerating and indwelling and baptism bring about life-transforming change. That's why you should stand out like a sore thumb. So if you look like the rest of the world, then you need to examine yourself to see if you belong to God or not. Because you should not look like anything that this world loves or, you know, puts forth or proclaims. Because you've been taken from spiritual death to spiritual life. But something else that the Spirit does in this regenerating and dwelling in baptism is that uh, we are given a spiritual gift, which Pastor uh, Caden has been talking about in adult Sunday school. And we're learning that, you know, when we, we trust Christ as Savior, not only are we reborn, not only do we have the Spirit as uh, the one who indwells us, uh, the omnipotent, almighty God, but we are baptized, which happens at the moment of salvation because we just don't aimlessly wander around as individual Lone Ranger Christians. They don't exist. That's what the world is, a bunch of you know, Lone Ranger people. I answer to no one and to, to nothing. We have a purpose. So these spiritual gifts are given to edify the church in service to God and for his glory. So you live for a different purpose and a different set of of parameters define your existence. You have an identity that goes all the way back to before creation, to the God who knew you by name, even before your parents named you. The Spirit also illumines the script, or yeah, illuminates the scriptures themselves, because otherwise this just becomes a, a textbook. This is not a textbook. This is the living, active word of God. And what the Spirit does that the natural man can do, because a natural man apart from God can read the Bible. And you know what his conclusion will be? Apart from God, is that it's nonsense. It's foolishness. Maybe they're wise sayings. Maybe they're not. But someone who's been regenerated by the Spirit looks at the word of God, and it excites them. They, they can't get enough of the word of God. They thirst after the word of God in such a way that they never have that thirst quenched because the more that you thirst, the more you're into the word of God, guess what? You'll thirst more. You can't get enough. That's what you see in a new believer because their lives have been transformed. They're not the same. 
So the, the Spirit illuminates the Scriptures as the one who indwells us, but also enriching uh, and intercessory prayer or communion with God so that the Spirit actually enriches our lives because he is communicating to us not only the hope of salvation that we have in Christ, but also the truth. And what does it say the Scriptures? The truth will do what? Set you free. And that's not to set you free so that you can aim wondrously and have no cares. The truth sets you free to be able to see and to know and to experience who God is. And finally, the Spirit gives a desire for obedience to the will of God. And see, this is different because you used to have a desire for the things of this world. You had a desire for things of uh, you know, sexual orientation. You had desires to, to, to lie and to cheat and to steal. You had desires that only looked at self. Because a rock is a rock to itself. But a fleshly heart, a heart that has been you know, regenerated by the Spirit, has the ability to see and to, to ponder and to desire something that they could not do because they were a rock. That's why it had to be removed. Spiritual surgery took place because you were spiritually dead. You needed a heart transplant. And so he gives you a desire for the obedience to the will of God. You have a desire to obey God as opposed to disobey him. doesn't mean you always do because you still struggle with sin, but that's in relation to walking with God each and every day. You can quench the spirit, but you can't get rid of the spirit because almighty God has placed him there within you forever. To make sure that what God bought and paid for through his son's precious blood on Calvary makes it to its final destination. And that is in heaven with God, experiencing eternal life forever. And so the forever God has to be the one that does that. And that's what the spirit does. And that's how it should transform every believer here today. So don't minimize the Holy Spirit. He is God. And he does a mighty work in relation to salvation. And hopefully, in some small sense, you understand the excitement that I have for the Holy Spirit and his work. Because apart from him, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, have rock-hard hearts on our way to eternal damnation in hell forever, and we deserve it. But that's why salvation is so precious and why the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, we've uh, taken in a lot of biblical truth this morning. And I pray that you, through your spirit, would help each believer here today to understand it, to appreciate it, to see that your Holy Spirit, who is God, has a vital role to play in your sovereign plan of salvation. That he regenerates us to be able to see spiritual things and to embrace the gift of faith because we are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves, not of our works, because you give it to us as a gift. You said, I will. And so, Father, Lord, I pray for each believer that they would live empowered by the Holy Spirit, that they would not despair because they remember that the omnipotent helper is within them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.